Hi, everybody. This is Mark Lawrence, along with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com, our good friend, legendary handicapper Jim Feist in Las Vegas, and our producer Greg DePalma from Prime Sports Network. And we're presenting our Against the Spread podcast Super Bowl edition live for anybody that's watching the show and would like to join in on the show. You can do so simply on our Playbook Experts YouTube channel. Simply click on the live button, which you probably are on right now, and hit the chat box. Drop us a message in the chat box, and we'll be glad to answer any questions or comments you might have on the show for this special edition Super Bowl live podcast. It's being brought to you by our friends at uwager.lv, where I want to remind you that every Friday night you get minus 105 juice. That's minus 105 juice on all your football and weekend plays with free same-day payouts. Check it out at uwager.lv or call in toll-free at 1-800-U-WAGER. And with that, let me welcome into the show Andy Isco, Jim Feist. Andy Isco is also the publisher of the Logical Approach Football Newsletter. And guys, I want to tell you something. We're going to hit a lot on the Logical Approach Football Newsletter this week because it is outstanding. It's war and peace in football version is what it actually is. <laughs> if anything you need to know about the Super Bowl, it's inside Andy's Logical Approach football newsletter. He'll be sharing bits and tidbits with us from that particular newsletter. It's 18,000 words, guys. That's how, how jam-packed it is. It's really <laughs> fantastic, okay? Uh, if you need to get a hold of Andy, you can reach him at uh, the Logical Approach Post Office Box 20405. That's in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89112. Or you can drop him a call. The number is 702-898-9802. Visit the website at thelogicalapproach.com. I also well, Mark, to... Mark, yeah. before you continue, we may as well get it out of the way. Yeah. Uh, last year, I think on one of our podcasts, I don't think we were doing it live uh, for the Super Bowl, but I did say if anyone wanted to receive a copy of it, a complimentary copy of it, to uh, send me an email. Uh, and I, actually, I've gotten a couple of requests already from people from last year that I'm going to be taking care of uh, this afternoon. But rather than go through the the regular mails and everything, or even the website because it's difficult to navigate, just send it. Just send me a request at the email. Say you heard it on the Mark Lawrence podcast, and the email address logical seven, the numeral seven, l o g i c a l seven at cox c o x dot net. Logical seven at cox dot net. And uh, we'll just uh, reply to your request with an attachment of the I'm sure Andy will take care of yeah. you for doing just that. Also, I want to remind our listeners and our viewers to this live podcast to click on the like button down below. You'll find the like button down below, and it will help us become a subscriber to the Playbook Experts YouTube channel. We'll keep you in touch with everything it is that we do here involved with the Playbook Experts YouTube channel. And with that, I'm going to welcome in Jim Feist from Las Vegas, the legendary handicapper Jim Feist. Jim and I go back a long, long way. I mean, we were back in the business before the business was probably even officially underway, Jim. It's been that long. Uh, but I, <laughs> I'm thrilled having you on board with us here. And uh, how was your, your week going, getting ready for this Super Bowl week? I know it's got to be hectic. It, it's It's been hectic. I've had some personal issues uh, with some friends that were ill. Andy and I, who live here, have some issues with the rain. We had a lot of rain. and um, But it's been interesting. You know, I made up my mind right away how I was going to approach this uh, Super Bowl because not all Super Bowls are uh, super profitable if you just look at the spread and the total. But right now, because of all the 
propositions that you can do and all the quarters and the halves and the second halves and all the embedding, there can be a lot of profit as well, but you have to manipulate around that. And I'll talk with in, in the show here about some of that also. But it's been a good week listening to a lot of podcasts, watched a lot of shows. I was invited to go down to, to uh, Radio Row, but I declined. Um, I've done a lot of them, and they're kind of chaotic. They're a lot of fun, but I declined to go this year. Well, it's let me tell you, far, it's just too far away. Usually, I have to fly to another city. Yeah, from where you live, it is for sure. You're gonna take a helicopter over there <laughs> to get in there. Uh, I'm a big listener of the the NFL channel on Sirius Channel 88. I listen to it religiously. I know all the, uh, the hosts, the programs, and so forth and whatnot. And I have to say this: it's Super Bowl week. I'm tuned to the NFL.com channel 88 network all week long, and I couldn't make it all through the week. It was absolutely, unbelievably horrible. And when I'm saying horrible, I'm talking from the standpoint that if you, Jim Feist, had made it to Radio Row and been brought on, you would have been one of the rare guys that would have been on that show that was not there promoting a product. Everybody who they brought on as a guest was promoting and pushing a product. No kidding. It was unbelievable. And uh, unbelievable. You couldn't, you, you had to sort through the weeds to listen to whatever content was being said. And I quit listening to it this particular week. But were they regular know, I, guests, Mark? No, they weren't regular guests. They were, they were walk on, you know, walk on people. Uh, you know, Kurt Warner pushing that. Oh, okay. uh, former football players, uh, Jake Plummer pushing mushrooms. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> Seriously, uh, it was it was unbelievable. It, it was really really hard to listen to it because you like to glean it and you like to pick up some information, which you always do. It would be nice to that channel. You always do. And in fact, uh, one nice piece of information I picked up, I'll share with you guys early on here right now, is the fact that uh, until the San Francisco 49ers acquired Chris McCaffrey, Kyle Shanahan had a losing record in his NFL career. That's what he's meant to this football program. Now, I don't know if that means that Shanahan became a better coach or Kyle Shanahan made him a better coach, but it's just stuff like that that you pick up listening to uh, Channel 88 on Sirius Radio. So I'm glad you didn't make it there, Jim. I, you, you, whatever you would have had to say, people wouldn't have believed it because it wasn't you weren't selling something, if you know what I'm saying. Well, you know? The problem is I'd have had to pick up a product to sell on the way. <laughs> well, uh, you, you're going to talk about uh, all the beautiful things that your beautiful wife does, but that's another story for another day, okay? <laughs> by, by the way, this is not the slight Kyle Shanahan, who I think is certainly a brilliant offensive mind, but I would think that almost any coach who gets Christian McCaffrey on his team becomes a better coach simply for having him there. I agree 100%, Andy. I don't know if they go from a loser to a winner, but uh, that's just the case it happens to be. Greatly. Yeah, with with San Francisco. I think we learned, Mark, too, the Belichick-Brady partnership, that it's it's just not so um, black and white sometimes where – and maybe it is. uh, Maybe it's too black and white, actually, where – you know, you can have a great coach, but if you don't have the players, you can't win. And if you have great players, but you don't have really a great head coach, you can't win big games. But if you have the combination, well, that's the ticket. And it's very rare that you get the combination. You get an Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes combination. And Andy Reid, everybody knows Andy Reid is a fine coach. He's a very good offensive coordinator. That's what he does. But nobody is going to remember Andy Reid as some genius head coach. There's just not. He just was very good at what he did and had uh, a perfect time 
timing situation in his coaching career where he was able to be smart enough to draft Patrick Mahomes and develop him into one of the greatest quarterbacks that we've ever seen. And there's a lot to say about that. Uh, but again, I just, that, that's an important part to bring up because I think too many people want to, oh, is Belichick better than Brady? Is Brady better? better? It, it's, it's not, I think, to me, I think it's apples and oranges. That, that's why you always have the argument or the debate about who should win coach of the year. Sometimes the coach with the best talent does what he's expected to do with that talent and gets a lot of uh, votes for that. On the other hand, you take someone like D'Amico Ryan's first head coaching job, rookie quarterback, gets his team not only into the playoffs, but winning a playoff game. And normally the way that I think it's a tough decision, but I would like to go with the coach who not just does more with less, but does much more than most of the other teams have done with even less talent than those other teams have. So that it, the coaching is important, coaching quarterback. And, you know, with, with all due respect to Bill Belichick, you know, I, and that's why I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Andy Reid, especially if he wins, although it might actually it might actually be more if he loses this game, because I think he would certainly want to come back to be the first coach to have an opportunity or not to have an opportunity, but successfully win three Super Bowls in a row. But I would think that with with what we've heard about Belichick wanting to beat Don Shula's all time record for victories, which would probably take two, maybe three seasons with a really good team. Maybe why he might be thinking that Andy Reid might very well retire. That would be a perfect situation for Bill Belichick to take over not only a Super Bowl contender, but a two or three time Super Bowl winning team. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes things happen, guys, for reasons that they weren't meant to happen. And as we're talking about Andy Reid, and we'll be getting into Andy and Patrick Mahomes in just a little bit when we break down the the, the value of coaches and quarterbacks in Super Bowl games. But uh, I had shared this, I believe, in our playbook Super Bowl Guide newsletter, or if not, in the coffee club, uh, one place or another. But uh, the way that the Kansas City Chiefs came about Patrick Mahomes was really, really rather bizarre. Uh, they had a scout. Uh, who is now the general manager of the team. And he was scouting Texas Tech. He was scouting an offensive lineman. And he caught Patrick Mahomes while he was watching the offensive lineman. And his jaw just dropped. And Andy Reid said to him, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking at the next quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's who he was. Nobody, he wasn't even on the radar list. But Kansas City made the moves. They convinced Andy Reid to draft this quarterback they moved up in the draft to do just that, and the rest is all history right now. We're talking about a generational quarterback in Patrick Mahomes and a scout who became a general manager. And it's interesting that, he, that you can make the comparison, not just for Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, but just taking a look at Tom Brady and draw the comparisons with Brock Purdy, considering how late in the draft that Brady was drafted. And really... The, he was drafted high Mahomes, but not as high as a lot of people today would go back and say, well, he was obviously the best best quarterback to come out of that draft class, and we're not talking two, three years. We're talking half a decade or so right now. And Brock Purdy, is he, these are already examples that you don't have to be a number one or number two pick overall to have an outstanding career. Now, of course, Purdy's very, very young. He's only in not even his second full season. But there are precedents for someone coming from basically out of nowhere and having outstanding careers. And Brady and Mahomes right now are perfect examples. I, I think well, there have been two it, quarterbacks it is, that made the Super Bowl that were never game. drafted. Uh, I just will throw it, that note in there. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It is a team game. I mean, we these when you pick uh, 
best player of the year, the best, the offensive rookie. I mean, it's a team game. You got to have an offensive line. You got to have a good coach. You got you got to have receivers that can catch the ball. I mean, half the year Mahomes had receivers that dropped more passes than caught more passes. So I mean, it's uh, to pick individuals out of situations like this is crazy. And as far as matching players up with coaches, it takes it's a marriage. You got to yep. have a good marriage between all of those people. And we can pick this game apart item by item, but it's not going to be one player that wins it. It's going to be a combination of players. That's a good point, Jim. It will be a team effort by the team that wins the football game. There'll be not one dominant player in the game. With that, I'm going to bring in our producer of the show, Greg DePalma from Prime Sports Network. He does a fantastic job with all of our Against the Spread podcasts each and every week, our videos that he puts together for us. I'm going to ask Greg to anchor the show for us a little bit. I'm a little bit down under the weather here, losing my voice as we're talking. I want to save as much of it as I possibly can for later on in the show when we get into the nitty-gritty. So, Greg, I'm going to turn it over to you, and uh, if you can set up what will be our first segment on this live Super Bowl podcast. All right. Since I have control, uh, I decided we'd like to talk about the New York Jets. So, yeah. wait. Let me let me reverse that. Greg suddenly <laughs> left. Uh, I don't know what. <laughs> are, they, uh, it, are they in the game? Yeah. Uh, even even better for for uh, for Mark. I would like to talk about my college 50, football 56 years of con- counting. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, actually, before we get started, uh, want to remind everybody about the chat, and uh, that's where you can uh, make your comments and uh, have any questions for our panel. Adam Lastman has already started uh, chatting. So has Rick White. So uh, Adam has already made a prediction that the 49ers will win by three. And uh, Rick White, uh, Northern California uh, uh, kid, guy, and uh, he says go Niners. So we, we got two, two Niners uh, viewers, or at least that's the way they're going in this game. And uh, by the way, you guys going to have predictions on this game later. Or are you saving those predictions for uh, your members? Oh, for the people that are on the podcast here, exclusively for them, I'm going to have a pick. I don't know how Andy and Jim will feel, but uh, I'll do the same. As an appreciation, I will share a pick as we close out the show in the podcast here. And one other quick note, uh, I, I, I'd be remiss, I didn't mention uh, that Victor King is no, cannot join us on the show. He's under the weather. He's uh, took a trip to the dentist and it didn't come out well for Victor. And uh, uh, he's in a lot of pain right now as we're speaking. So hats off to Victor for the great job he did this year. He'll be back with us hopefully next week when we resume the Mark Lawrence Against the Spread podcast when we get into the college and NBA basketball. Not to make light of the subject, but maybe you should check into those Kurt Warner mushrooms, if you know what I mean. Uh, (laughs) You know, what Victor's been going through for the past uh, several months reminds me of that movie Splash. Did you ever see that movie Splash? The guy that was following to trying to make everybody believe that uh, she, she was a mermaid. And uh, by the end of the movie, uh, he had like uh, he had uh, crutches and he had uh, all sorts of things going on with his body because he had been beaten up and everything. And he goes, what a week I'm having. Well, that's like Victor. He's like, man, what a year I'm having. So yeah. it's, it's been really rough for Victor. And just like you were saying before off the air, Jim, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. The older you get, uh, the more uh, tragedy uh, and, uh, and unfortunate things happen where you know, you get old and people pass away, and it's uh... yeah. You, you you always think about what's going to happen to you when you get old, and but a lot of times it's about your friends and relatives, and you don't think about that, but it, then it surrounds you. 
it's just the two people this week. It's unbelievable. Yep. Okay, so uh, Lamar Sims just chimed in. Niners will win. Bet on it. So that's three Niners already in the chat. We have three chat uh, members and uh, uh, three already on the Niners. So let's talk about the dudes. I'm guessing all the Chief fans are listening to Taylor Swift music. (laughs) Yeah, you would (laughs) hope so. Good vibes. Uh, Let's talk about the do's and don'ts here uh, as we start handicapping the Super Bowl. So I'm going to start with you, Jim. Uh, with all your years of experience covering Super Bowls, give us uh, give us some do's and don'ts that you think are real important in this big matchup. Well, first of all, I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm not going to try to be a killjoy here, but if this game were on a Sunday with 14 other games, this very likely I wouldn't even bet the game because it's there's lots of reasons you could make for either side to win it. So. When you get right down to it, this is like New Year's Eve in sports betting. So everybody gets involved in it. It's exciting. I personally, in some Super Bowls, I like watching the the commercials more than the game because especially in the early years when there were all blowouts. You remember those days? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, recently, we've got some good matchups, and this should be a very good matchup. But picking the game, there's a few keys that I'm going to talk about why I picked the side, and I will give it out. Matter of fact, I did a video the other day standing out in the rain. I think you got it, Greg, and you might have posted it already. I actually did give out the side that I bet, and I'll do it again here on the show. But there are things that I have to, when, when you go down, there's a lot of data. Now, you can take data from the first six or eight games of the year, and everything's going to look San Francisco all the way. They were hot, blowing everybody out, and then they ran into a game with Baltimore with Trent Williams out, and a couple games after that when Trent Williams was out, and they didn't look so good. But they did miss a field goal in Cleveland. They should have won that game, but they missed the field goal, lost it. But in any case, when you look at the first half of the season, when Kansas City just had nothing going for them offensively, they didn't look so good. Now... It's flipped around. We've seen some regression on one side, and we've seen some progress in the other side. But just as a nutshell to close off this little segment, the the best roster on the field Sunday will be San Francisco. I agree 100%, 100% Greg, uh, Jim. Uh, they are the more talented football team uh, when you check all the boxes of the individuals. But maybe the key players uh, at certain positions, they may not hold that edge. But I agree with you. I think San Francisco comes into this game as the more talented football team. Yeah, I was going to mention, and and Jim sort of said it, it's just another football game. And the vast majority of recreational and professional bettors will be making their wagers and making their money in this game on the literally, I was going to say hundreds of props, but with what's available offshore and around the world, thousands of props in the game where you can find a lot of edges because remember you as the better as the handicapper have plenty of time to go over each and every one of the props that you might show an interest in whereas the lines makers they have they can't spend two hours analyzing a single prop from all different angles they have to put it up i mean they do some work and they base a lot on what they priced that type of prop in the past but 
it's, it's kind of like the bookmaker's edge has always been the 11 to 10. The better's edge has already is always been their selectivity. They don't have to play everything out there. They don't have to play every game, every prop. So just remember, this is w just one game, and there are many ways to attack this game, and especially in recent years with the advent of technology and mobile apps and everything, now you can even get involved in in-game wagering. You there are many games where I will not have an opinion or a wager on before the game starts. I'll see how the game develops, and depending upon which way that game is going, it may present some opportunities to get in there in the middle of the first quarter or the start of the third quarter or something along those lines. You know, in the vein of what you just mentioned, Andy, uh, I can go back for the longest time and remember uh, the, the Super Bowl being just one game. Uh, so many people would get caught up in it because it was the game. Uh, people who didn't make a bet all year long or didn't even know how to make a bet all year long would jump into the water come Super Bowl game. I don't think it's that way quite today because of the advent of the legal sports books. There's a lot more people that are betting football games here today. So it's not that one isolated game uh, to that minimal amount of crowd. Uh, so there's some people that maybe have some savvy or some experience from sports betting here. But again, I go right back to what hearken to what Jim said. I think it was a great point. If this game were a regular season game, how would you be playing the game? You don't want to play it any more than you would if it were a regular season football game. Uh, you're always first and foremost looking for value in a football game. If you don't find the value, you have to step back past the game. There's always another game coming up next, although we're at the end of the season right now. So you're better off passing it if you don't really feel in your heart you have value in the football game. Those are some of the do's and the don'ts that I have. Uh, Greg, I'm going to throw that question back at you before I turn it back to Andy. Uh, as far as uh, my do's and don'ts for the Super Bowl? Yeah. Yes. Uh, as far as uh, we can kind of go into, well, I, I will say this, and that is that, and we talk about this when we're handicapping games all season long, being um, consistent. And uh, this is something that is interesting because – if you just look at like you guys were saying this is one game so if you if you look at it as one game as opposed to uh a, a long season that goes into the playoffs and you handicap the season the same way and the playoffs the same way well that's what i would continue to do is to handicap the super bowl the same way i wouldn't all of a sudden look at this game and say well all right now i'm going to just look at it completely different i'm going to take uh, a completely different point of view and I'm going to pick this game just based on whoever. Because I think what happens, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I think what happens in these Super Bowls more than any other game during the season, especially when it doesn't involve your own teams maybe, is that you tend to side a little bit more with your heart. And do you – I mean, because it's. I think it's really hard for the average uh, better that is not doing it for a living uh, to bet on a team that they don't want to see win the Super Bowl. Uh, so I don't know what you guys think about that, but I think that's something that I, I, I could see easily happening. Um, and I was looking over the, uh, the, the playoff uh, handicapping, the best handicapping uh, advice that I got out of this little old playbook magazine that you've seen there all season long uh, on the screen. And I, I was I was going through some of these, and I was like, "Well, look, I mean, it's 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 basically all here. Uh, it, it, this was in the newsletter. Awesome angle, NFL playoff uh, guide. Uh, play on any NFL home dog in a wild card round if they play with same season revenge. Two and zero. Tampa Bay at Houston, both uh, won their games. 
Uh, you know, uh, Miami was just one in five straight up and against the spread versus playoff teams with only one win against Dallas, who was 0-4 straight up and against the spread versus playoff teams on the road. Green Bay, 4-0 straight up and against the spread, their last four versus Dallas, including one playoff game. I can go on and on, but the most important one I want to get to are, are the two trends in this game. Patrick Mahomes is now 10-4 straight up. 13-1 and one against the spread as a dog, including the Super Bowl last year and including the last two weeks. And Kansas City has now covered 12 straight as a road dog of three or more. Now, they're not in that spot, of course, yet at this point. Uh, while San Francisco ended their, their season at 0-7 against the spread in their last seven as a home favorite, 0-2 the last two postseason games. So uh, that, that would be my do or don't would be the fact that stick with your trends. The trends go all the way through. Don't just make the Super Bowl look like a standalone game and, and, and act differently. And, and a lot of times that also happens because you've got two weeks to think about it. Very good. Uh, Andy, I'm going to throw this to you, but uh, we're going to refer to, as we are going to commonly on the show here today, to your wonderful Logical Approach newsletter. And you had a segment in there called How These Teams Got Here. Can you elaborate just a little bit on that, on how these teams arrived at Super Bowl 58? I will actually try to uh, read it as though I'm not reading it because uh, <laughs> it sounds a lot better that way. But it, it, it's really when you take a look at it, uh, first of all, uh, to sort of set it up, Either of these teams can win. There's a there's a sense of finality for every playoff game because for every playoff game, one team's season is over and the other team's season advances <laughs> until you get to the Super Bowl because it's final for both teams. The winner wins the Super Bowl trophy. The loser gets to play the what-if game. What did we do wrong? What could we do, uh, do better? Now, both of these teams have faced true must-win games. A must-win game is basically if you don't win it, your season's over. Now, it's not like what they call must-win games during the regular season where they are important to win games, you know, crucial games perhaps, but these are literally must-win games. Now, as a number three seed, Kansas City has already won three of those games, the wild card round and then the following uh, two games on the road. San Francisco as a number one seed has uh, only had to play two, and they've won both of those games, and they did so uh, coming from behind, which is a nice test that Kansas City really doesn't have to pass because they've shown it in the past that uh, they can uh, play with the lead or play from behind. But as far as uh, how they get here, San Francisco, as I mentioned, the number one seed in the NFC uh, to reach the Super Bowl needed just two wins. Both were at home. Both required the 49ers to come from behind uh, to defeat Green Bay and then to detreat, defeat Detroit. Both of those ended up being... Um, uh, three-point wins, and of course, as, as Greg pointed out, San Francisco did not cover in each game. They might have pushed in the second game if Detroit's final score down by 10 was a field goal rather than a touchdown. That would have made it 30, uh, 31-27, uh, sorry, 34-27 instead of 34-31, uh, which is what it turned out to be. Uh, the Felta covers, as I mentioned, both of those games, and they were laying 10.5 to the Packers, 7 7 and a half. Uh, to the Lions. Uh, in that game, the 49ers trailed 24-7 to at halftime, but eventually uh, were covering the game with that 10-point lead late until Detroit got that score. And it's interesting to mention that it was Kansas City in the Super Bowl that they played Super Bowl 54. They were down 20-10 to in the um, uh, fourth quarter. In fact, that that's one of the selling points that Shanahan can do for his team, by the way, because uh, he can basically say, hey, you know, in that Super Bowl, you outplayed the Kansas City Chiefs for 54, 55 minutes in that game. 
and it just took a little bit more of an effort. And, of course, you were going against an outstanding quarterback to come from behind. Right. So that that is a point that they can use uh, to their uh, to their benefit. And, of course, and we could get it a little bit later. Remember, back uh, in that game, it was uh, uh, Shanahan's second season as coach. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was the quarterback. Debo Samuel uh, was a rookie. And uh, uh, Christian McCaffrey was a member of the Carolina Panthers. So it's a little different situation today. As far as Kansas City, they were the number three seed in the AFC, and they needed to win three games to uh, reach the Super Bowl. Uh, the wild card win was relatively easy as they defeated Miami for a second time this season, 26-7. Uh, to 7, If you recall, they played in Germany in, uh, in midseason. And uh, that was a 21-14 win uh, for the uh, uh, for the Chiefs. Then, of course, uh, Mahomes had never played a, a true postseason road game. I say a true postseason road game because the game in Tampa Bay against the Buccaneers was in Tampa. So not technically a road game because it was a neutral site for the Super Bowl, but it was still a road game on a field that the Buccaneers had played all year. And, of course, the Buccaneers won that game. So this was a first true playoff road game that they played in Buffalo. They won that game as a small underdog. And then the following week they uh, upset. And I, I sort of put upset in quotes because, uh, as, you know, when you are as good as Kansas City and you're on the road and you finally passed your first test by winning uh, – uh, well, that that was an upset to the extent that it was an upset by the line. A lot of people liked Kansas City in that game, both uh, plus the points and more more to the point to the money line. And then they defeated uh, Baltimore on the road, 17 to 10. And I got a bad sense at the very start of that game for Baltimore. If you recall, in the pregame show, they showed a, a, a clip of Mahomes in the locker room, rallying the team, screaming and everything, getting the team fired up. And then they showed, as the teams were about to enter the field, they showed the Baltimore Ravens stoically standing, and yeah. they're about to exit the tunnel. Very bad body language. And I'm not taking anything away from Kansas City because they did win the game, but uh, Baltimore may have lost it more than Kansas City won it. Although I will say, and we'll talk about it when we get to the props, uh, because there's a couple of interesting props that the property will put it up, could have been very creative and given the prop specific names for a couple of things that happened in that game instead they just went with the straightforward uh words in that game so uh since the uh, the win in buffalo was the first road tr true road playoff game for kansas city uh since a divisional round game at houston back in 2015 so most of their in fact all of their pre all of their postseason games up until this year except for that game in uh, uh in Tampa, <laughs> they were, again not a home game of course but all the other games were home games. These were the first true road games in nearly, uh, well, in basically eight seasons for the Kansas City Chiefs, and they uh, passed both tests. Interesting about that game, Andy, uh, the last game against Baltimore. Baltimore was heavily bet by the biggest bettors that I know here and around the world. Um, that, And they were all over Baltimore in that game. And um, they had the reasons I didn't agree with them, but of course they, I respect them. So I, I had my bet on Kansas City, but it wasn't very long, wasn't strong because of them. Because you have to respect winning players, especially when they back it up with three, 300,000 to a million dollar bets. So, but in any case, they were totally wrong. And Monken came out with a game plan that no one understands because the way you're supposed to attack. Kansas City is the running game, and Baltimore is a very good running team, but they didn't run. I mean, they ran the first play, got 23 yards, and then they backed off, and the rest of the game was like 45 passes and 16 runs, and only three other 
times did they use a back to run the ball? I don't know what they were doing, uh, but Kansas City's defense has been superb. And that might be the key to this game. And we can talk about it later in our analysis. There's a difference. In the offseason, um, San Francisco lost their off defensive coordinator, and he went down to Houston and became the head coach. His name is the Amico Ryans. The Miko Ryans, but Wilkes is now the San yeah. Francisco defensive coordinator. Well, Spagnola is the and has been for a while the defensive coordinator for San Francisco. And their defense has been playing lights out. And that could be, I mean, I'm going to go into, I guess I should go into this. I'll just do it. If you were going to make a bet, let's play a game. If you were going to make, who's going to make a mistake between Mahomes and Purdy? Probably most people would say, the mistake will come from Purdy. He's a second-year quarterback, never been in the Super Bowl. And I'm just going to answer my own question, as I think most people would answer. Who's going to make a mistake? Kyle Shanahan or Andy Reid? We have a history on that one. Yeah, I, I know, and it's pretty strong. Guys lost two fourth-quarter leads with Super Bowls, different teams, different coordinator and head coach. And Andy has won tons of things and been with not only one quarterback, but with several. And six straight AFC championship game appearances That's in right. that time. That's 24 right. times. And then who's going to make a mistake? Now, that's, that's, that's what everybody wants to know, Jim, because turnovers are going to be vital. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I'm going to go to the next thing. Is Spagnola or Wilkes? I think you get all all of uh, the numbers behind Spags in, the, in something like that, for sure. I'll, I'll mention something that I wrote in the newsletter. Go back to the Super Bowl between the, the unbeaten Patriots and the New York Giants, okay? Spagnola was in his first year, I believe, as defensive coordinator of the Giants. They played in the final game, week 17 of the 16-game schedule at that time of the season. Patriots won 38-35. That was, when, that was the year, by the way, when the Patriots set – 589 total points scored, which at the time was a record. It was beaten a few years later by the Denver Broncos with Peyton Manning. And their, their scoring differential that year for the Patriots, plus 315 points still, is the record for uh, scoring for and against in a, in a single season. So the Patriots got to 17, uh, got to 16 and 0 because they managed to hold off the Giants 38-35. They met about a month later. We all know what happened, but we, you know, uh, Eli Manning, the David Tyree pass and all that, and he got the Super Bowl MVP. Giants didn't, uh, Giants didn't win the game because of the offense. They held that high-scoring New England Patriots team down to 14 points. That's how impressive the effort was from uh, Steve Spagnuolo. Now, he was the defensive coordinator with the Chiefs in their first Super Bowl. Uh, I think it was his first season as Kansas, with Kansas City as the defensive coordinator. Of course, he had previously coached uh, the Rams, etc. Uh, in that interim time. But he comes into uh, he um, uh, he got he he actually played a, a decent game with Kansas City uh, because they shut down San Francisco mostly in the uh, second half. But he wasn't familiar with a lot of the personnel. Uh, so I, I place a lot of emphasis on Spagnolo having. In fact, I'll just mention right now one of the concerns I have for San Francisco is 
Will they be able to protect Purdy? Because if I'm Spagnolo and if I'm the Kansas City defense, guys like Chris Jones, they're going to be in the backfield all game. And it's going to be San Francisco's ability to be prepared, but not just be prepared, be able to execute an offense that takes advantage of the pressure uh, that the Kansas City will try to apply. Hey, guys, let me uh, let me short circuit this. I think we hit that nail pretty well on the head about how they got here. And uh, my final statement on that subject is uh, real simple from the well-oiled machine. It's basically this, that uh, teams who enter into the Super Bowl off a point spread loss in the championship game, this is going back to 1980. They're just 3-8 and eight straight up and 2-8-1 and one against the spread. That's San Francisco wins and no covers. On the flip side, teams who go into the Super Bowl game off a straight-up underdog win, they are 19-7-1 against the spread since 1980. So that's how they got here, these two football teams. We'll draw a conclusion later on in the show. Isn't there something also, Mark, because I know you have all this data, about the team with the better record yeah. during the season? Absolutely yeah, you, not doing well. You don't want to have a better record, Jim. One and fifteen against the spread. The last sixteen teams that have had a better record in the Super Bowl. Wow. Yeah. So you did now that did not apply last year because Philadelphia and Kansas City had the same record. It does apply this year. Exactly, but it does this year. And now, by the way, it, I th- actually I think it's two and fifteen, uh, going back to like two thousand three. Yeah. One of the two wins was when the Patriots rallied against the Atlanta Falcons, who the Patriots had the uh, better record, but they were on the losing end. And I think you have to go all the way back to, I think it was the 2003 season, when the uh, Raiders played Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay won that with a weaker record than the Raiders, but even there, there's an asterisk because John Gruden had just been coaching the Raiders for four, four years or so, before he went to Tampa Bay, so that was his first year with Tampa Bay, and he knew basically, and they admitted afterwards, that they basically knew every play the Raiders were going to run. Yeah, there's some good and some ugly stats, obviously, that evolve around uh, situations like that, especially pertaining in this particular football game. Greg, by, I'm by, the way, by the way, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. Kansas City was 11-6, and six, San Francisco 12-5, and five, so San Francisco does come in with a better record this year. Beautiful. Yeah, uh, speaking of stats, and I want to uh, – we'll, we'll, use that to move on to the next segment. Um, but before we do, I do have to jump into our chat uh, because uh, Jeff has a question. Uh, is the experience factor, Kansas City, uh, is the, basically what I think he was trying to say is, is the experience factor for Kansas City a plus? And if so, what's the point value? Well, I, I think absolutely experience is a plus when it comes to handicapping big games, whether it's a Super Bowl or the NCAA tournament or World Series games. Uh, experience matters a whole lot. Uh, and we check those boxes of experience. Uh, again, the checkbox is here. Go to Kansas City, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes over Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy. Now, does it mean that Brock Purdy isn't going to end up in his career having gained from being in this football game, pulls up, uh, not pulls the upset, but wins this game, and all of a sudden it's the notch that he needed to get his career going. But coming into the game, I think experience means a whole lot. In fact, I think it's the number one vital statistic. I, I was going to ask you, Mark, along those lines, San Francisco also has some pretty decent playoff experience. 
not nearly as much a success, although they, uh, you know, have all those uh, NFC Championship uh, game appearances. Uh, I, I look at it as, yes, experience is very important, but it's I think it's not as significant of an edge as if they were going against a team that maybe had been in the playoffs maybe one year before this year, and they were still very limited. Kansas City, Kansas City right now has more experience than any team uh, playing currently any of the 32 teams, but it's an, uh, assigning a point value to it is hard to say simply because, as I mentioned before, both of these teams, including the less experienced San Francisco team, already won two games and came very close to losing two games when their season was over. So, yeah, they are at a disadvantage, but at least they've passed a number of tests. So it's a question of how much, uh, you know, people put like one point of value or two points of value. I've always had a question with how, or, or an issue with how many points you put on a, uh, a specific prop proposition or situation. You don't score points in ones and twos in football like you do in basketball and other uh, such sports. You scores in threes and sixes. And so maybe sometimes <laughs> is it worth a, is it worth the difference between a field goal and a touchdown? Let's talk about let's talk about why the why the favorite the favorite or the Patriots or not the um, the, um, the Niners the Niners I don't think the Patriots are playing this week <laughs> but you know in the beginning of the year August July and I'm one of these guys that made a a pretty good bet on the Niners to win it all got a nice price I'm still sitting with a ticket on the Niners to win it all so what do people do? that have the Niners to win it all, and they're starting to question their bet. They come in, and they and the bookmakers have a lot of liability on the Niners winning it all. So what do they have to do? they got to put up a number that attracts some money on the other side. That's why I believe the Niners originated as the favorite in this game. And it, I say originated because I'm not too sure it won't go the other way, at least down to a pick em before kickoff. It did last but, year with the Eagles and Chiefs. That's right. Eagles opened a small favorite, closed the, the point books half have, The books have a tremendous liability on San Francisco winning this Super Bowl. So Jim, that's, a great, that's a great point you brought out, and it's a question I'm asked often or been, have been asked often is why is San Francisco a favorite in a game like this? And my answer was, and I think I like your answer better, is that uh, for the longest time all season long, when they did put out early Super Bowl lines, obviously they didn't know who was playing, but they based them on the conferences, the NFC against the AFC. And it was thought that the NFC was a stronger conference, so the NFC ended up being a two or two and a half point favorite. Now, I don't know if they take enough money, Andy, in games like that to, to sway this particular line, but... Like Jim says, there's a lot of liability right now in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much they write, and I think that that was also perhaps part of the justification because that liability that Jim talks about has really, really existed all season. I'm not so sure that the NFC before the season was the stronger conference, especially when you take a look at who the main contenders were in the NFC. It was basically San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Dallas. In yes. the AFC, you had Kansas City, you had Cincinnati, uh, you had Buffalo. Uh, you, uh, some people thought that uh, there were a couple of other teams that were highly up there, like maybe a Pittsburgh or even a Cleveland, based upon what they brought into the season. Detroit was a team on the rise. But I personally, if I were just going to do power ratings on this game, I would have actually had the game either Pickham or Kansas City a one-point favorite. Well, it's like uh, we mentioned before, Billy Walters uh, was in Las Vegas and uh, visited Radio Row and uh, let it be known that he bet on Kansas City in this football game. And when asked why, he said he made Kansas City a 
I think either a two or a three point favorite in the football He's, game. So. The, the line was four points off by his numbers. By his numbers, exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, Knuckles, uh, this is again someone from the chat, uh, P. Knuckles, Knuckles P. Uh, and I think he's referencing the San Francisco comeback. The game, this game is the poster child for in-game betting. And that's really interesting, of course, because um, I, I had a bet on Detroit in the money line, and they had the big lead. And that's something that I think some average gamblers out there don't take enough advantage of, is realizing that if you have a bet like that, and now it's halftime or you're in the second quarter and it's a big number, especially if it's halftime, uh, you really need to hedge that bet. And yeah, by, by the way, I, was gonna, no, go ahead, ahead. I just want to mention that, by the way, apropos of what we were just saying with the point spread, it's hard to see. Uh, I, mean, I understand the reason for San Francisco being favored, but the thought there is that the way Kansas City has answered those questions by winning at this price range on the road, two straight games against two of the other leading contenders in the AFC, the books have to believe, and it hasn't happened yet, uh, it happened a little bit, you would expect all the money to come in on Kansas City. What more does Patrick Mahomes have to prove? And by the way, that also does lead to San Francisco being able to look at this game as even though the betting line says they're favorite, all the talk is on the on the Chiefs, so they can use it to their advantage that they could basically take the uh, uh, the underdog mentality coming into this game, even though they're slight favorite. Now, as to uh, Greg's question about uh, the the in game, perfect example for approaching that. You look at what the point spread is, what the line is for. Will either team have a lead of X points? What will the biggest lead in the game be? Okay. 14 and a half is the number. So if that is indeed correct, that could indicate that there will be some swings in the game where, in theory, you might be able to get both teams as an underdog price, uh, unless you believe it's going to be a blowout and 14 and a half will look like a very small lead, and most people don't expect it. But you know, a lot of these, a lot of these props, for example, that look like, gee, there's no way it can happen. If the two best teams in the league, 14 and a half point, well, the odds makers, they know what they're doing when they put up a line like that. And it's uh, it's pretty similar to uh, situations where uh, the uh, will a team score, will a team have three unanswered scores? And it's easy to say, no, it's a Super Bowl. You're not going to have that kind of domination. Yet, number one, it happens much more often than it doesn't that a team scores three times in a row. And when you want to play that proposition, people, the general public, uh, the occasional betters will take the no because that's the plus price when in fact the price on the will there be the answer for the yes there will be is often priced at somewhere between 240 and 280 minus very uh, good let's, uh, Greg, uh, i'm going to turn it back over to you let's move on to our next top subject or topic that we've got on hand yep. for our listeners out there if you will all right uh, let's talk about super bowl history uh super bowl history so um you, you were talking before, Jim, about how we all went through those really bad years of, of blowouts. And then people started talking about, well, that's because there's you're, you're giving them two weeks off. Remember that? Remember there was the two-week-off debate? Was there's too much time in between the Super Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. They were just trying to figure out how do we make these games closer. Uh, and it's just the way that it is. Remember the NFC used to be on the, the side of the team that used to dominate the AFC. It was just a 10-year deal. It was just going on and on and on. Um, so let me ask you about Super Bowl history. Uh, how much do you take that into account, Jim, uh, when you're handicapping the Super Bowl? Because of the 
used to be blowouts? Well, no, just generally speaking. Super Bowl history, the history of the game, when you've looked at the last couple of years, the last five years, the last ten years, do you take into account, or what do you take into account, if anything, regarding Super Bowl history? Well, I, I think that, you know, you could you could use a lot of statistics. Uh, DVOA, I mean, cause how, how many yards you gain per average per, per rush, your average gain per pass, your completion ratio, uh, touchdown to the interception, stuff like that. But in a game like this, especially with a very inexperienced quarterback on one side, I don't know what the hell we're going to get from him. And believe me, when I say this, I like Brock Purdy. I think he's going to be excellent. He's a good thinker. He's very accurate with his – he's not a big arm, but he's accurate. He's Obviously, he's got some good legs. He gains some yards on the ground. I think he's got a great future. I think he's very fortunate that he landed in a spot with an offensive coordinator and a lot of great talent, which is why why he's taken off so quickly. I think they messed up when they didn't draft him. Mr. Irrelevant should be the entire crew of people that didn't draft him because he is not irrelevant at all. He has a lot of, a lot of talent. But I think that's because of that. I don't know that I can look at statistics in a in a game this big and say, how do I apply that to a guy like him? I don't know what the hell he's going to do. I mean, if you'll go back to the Baltimore game, when Baltimore went out there to play them, and right now, and at that point, San Francisco is the top of the world, but we didn't realize, I don't think enough of us realized, the loss of Trent Williams and how much that would mean, and it was big. But he got he got hassled, and he did not do well when he was rushed and pressured. He's going to get rushed and pressured, and what's he going to do with that? Is what's Kyle going to do to protect him? I don't know. So what I do and what I have done, and I mentioned it before, I went back to the experience level. I like Mahomes in this spot. I like Andy Reid in this spot. I like Spagnola in this spot. I really, I mean, I, I like Kelsey in this spot, but I don't give him a real edge. I think that's kind of equal. But in that situation, I, I had to go to something to really kind of break the tie. And can I, I can't just go in there and say, Purdy's going to be crap in this game because it's too big of a game and it's his first time at this stage. I can't say that because I don't know. But I do know that Mahomes is going to come in ready to play. So with Mahomes having an edge, Andy had him in the head, Spagnola having an edge. I'm going with that. Well, I would say that if I were uh, back in the presidential election days when they broke the news that Dewey won the election and he didn't, just reading between the lines of what Jim just said, I think I would know what I would send out there as far as the side Jim Feist likes in the game. But we'll find that out officially just a little bit more in the show. By the way, I was was just going to mention as far as what Jim was saying, and that is, uh, and I'll mention it, I would give Kelsey the edge over Kittle only because of the quarterback who's throwing to him and has done so for so many years. But as far as Kittle versus Kelsey as pure tight ends, I think they're both uh, they're both outstanding. And as far as Super Bowl history goes, I don't use. I mean, it's nice to put in newsletters and make for topics of conversation for the media and things like that. But I think the two most important things that we talked about, and Mark, you brought them up, history suggests that underdogs, certainly over the past decade and a half or so, have done exceptionally well 
as has the team that has comes in with the weaker record. Because often the weaker record is not that much, but it's still a good enough record to, A, have made the playoffs and win the two or three games uh, needed. So I think the history lesson is don't blindly play favorites as a lot of people blindly do during the regular season or recreation. Well, the 49ers are better. They should win. Don't If you like the 49ers, and there are many reasons to like it, don't bet it because, or, or Kansas City, uh, because they're the underdog, just because that's what's happened in the past. But also give respect to the fact that underdogs have had incredible success going back a decade, decade and a half. Go, let's, play, let's play another little game here. Because I just kind of made Purdy the issue, or the biggest issue, of why I slid away from them. Although I feel other edges also lean to Kansas City. If we took Purdy off of this team and put Staff or uh, Stafford on the team from the Rams. Now, I would have to say we got a problem <laughs> because he is really good. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He, he's at least on any given day, he's an equal to, to Mahomes. And now I'd really have to say I'm probably going to switch from what I think might be a defensive game and there might be some more points. And I'd probably switch from having any side bet, and I'd probably go to the over because of that. Because I think with his capability and and experience and being a Super Bowl winner, we're going to see a different kind of game plan. Let me say this, guys, as far as the history is concerned with the Super Bowl, I look at it a little bit differently, and I don't look at it from the standpoint of just pure history being history. I look at it from the standpoint of looking at it from statistical or situational portions of history in Super Bowl games. Uh, Things such as what do favorites of so-and-so do in Super Bowl games? Uh, What do number one seeds do in Super Bowl games? A situation like that. Uh, What what does the straight-up winner of a Super Bowl game do? Situations like that. Uh, Teams who score, uh, who fail to score 20 points. They're 2-25 and straight up. Things like that. To me, that's history. That's uh, handicapping situational history in a Super Bowl game. And there are some points to be made here. I mentioned about Super Bowl favorites of five or fewer points. Uh, when they had played with a week of rest uh, by week to begin the season, they've really struggled. They're only four and 14 to the spread. Uh, so to me, that's history. That's situational history. That's my approach to it. Uh, Greg, I don't know about you and how you look at it. Uh, actually, I was taking one out of Andy's newsletter um, and this one really reminded me what we talked about before the season began, that the AFC was just clearly a more deeper conference than the NFC. Matter of fact, it was getting so ridiculous. Sean Payton decides, well, where am I going? I'm going to go to an AFC team. It's like everybody's going to an AFC team. It's getting ridiculous. The AFC is stocked. Aaron Rodgers, where's he's going? He's going to an AFC team. Everybody's going to the AFC. And so it should have been no surprise that, as Andy pointed out in the newsletter, that the AFC 46 and 34 versus the NFC this year. That's a 57.5% winning percentage. That's the best since 2009. And I just think that um, back then, we we thought before the season began, the AFC, even though they were deeper, and yes, San Francisco and Philly was in the NFC, that the AFC should have an advantage come whoever was going to represent them in the Super Bowl. And I think that's another uh, historical edge that makes a lot of sense to me. By the way, Excellent. along those lines, 
Excellent. It's not always the best indicator, but it's a reasonable indicator as to how the lines maker looks at things. They've just come out within the last couple of weeks, the Super Bowl odds for next season, the 2024 season. <laughs> take a look. I haven't done it yet, or I'd share it with you, but take a look at how many, at what the distribution of the shorter odd teams are. Are there more AFC or NFC teams priced, for example, at 40 to 1 or 30 to 1 or less? That'll give you an idea of the lines makers assessment of the strength between the conferences, at least heading into the offseason, which may be about 60 to 70 percent of how the teams will look heading into the regular season of 2024. Excellent point, Andy. That's uh, really good. Let, let me close this segment out here. Andy, I'm going to throw this one right back to you as well. And I know in your awesome newsletter this week, you mentioned about third time a charm uh, becomes a charm. It's a saying that's often said the third time becomes a charm. I got to ask you for which team. I, you, I know you hit on that in your Super Bowl newsletter. Expound on that if you would a little bit. Yeah, in fact, I had the, you know, I, I sort of put a little caption at the start of each newsletter, sort of just something topical or whatever. And so I said, the headline in this newsletter is third time is the charm, but for which team? Right. And by that, I meant. The San Francisco 49ers have won five Super Bowls. Their last win was in 1994 when they uh, beat up on the uh, then San Diego Chargers. So it's been nearly 30 years since they won that fifth Super Bowl. In that time, they've had two opportunities. The one was the Harbaugh Bowl back about a decade or so ago uh, with uh, uh, brother uh, John beating uh, brother Jim, when Jim was the 49ers coach, John was still at Baltimore. And, of course, that's the one where the lights went out and they had the fiasco at the start of the third quarter. The second time was, of course, in Super Bowl 54 when the 49ers lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. So this is their third opportunity, and maybe appropriately it would be almost three full decades since they uh, won that last Super Bowl that they may be the one for whom the third's the charm. At the same time, it's a little bit easier. Third time's the charm for Kansas City because a third win here would be the third win for the Andy Reid-Pat Mahomes uh, combination. And it would also be, what, uh, Kansas City's, I think, fourth uh, Super Bowl win overall, dating back to uh, their win over the Vikings in number four. One more quickie, Andy, before we get out of this segment here. You mentioned absolutely incredible Super Bowl facts. Would you share some of those with us? Some I think Bowl one facts? of them was the one that we uh, talked about as far as the, uh, the, the record of those teams that you sort of pointed out first. And I'm trying to locate it here. Phil, you'll give me just a half a moment or so to do it. But uh, there are a lot of things that I, that I look at just uh, – in fact, yeah, I call it some absolutely amazing Super Bowl facts. Um, it's worth noting that uh, – oh, I, I mentioned the one about the, uh, the team with the weaker record and the fact that uh, uh, the – team with the weaker record has something gone like 15 or 16 and 2 against the spread uh, over the last since uh, I think the start of the millennium actually and, Andy uh, you had it at uh, six uh, the team with the weaker record was 11 and yeah. six straight up and yeah. 15 and 2 against the spread since 2002 right and that, that's the one where we had the exceptions about uh, the uh, New England, New England win over Atlanta right. and the other one with the uh, Gruden factor uh, in, in the last 17 games um, yeah, you'd have to go back prior to the Tampa Bay win, which was the last time that uh, uh, prior to uh, uh, that situation, you have to go back to 1994 when the 13-3 and San Francisco 49ers defeated uh, the 11-5 and San Diego in that Super Bowl. So it's been a long time. 
And I, I do indicate that, uh, sadly, this factor did not apply last season, but it does this season. Uh, I think that was the one that I was really taking a look at as far as uh, illustrating just how important it is or how significant it may be that the team with the weaker record. And you and I might also think that from that standpoint, they could also play that under underdog factor regardless of the point spread. I will point out also that we've had a lot of, uh, uh, by the way, third time's the charm also. This could be the third straight year that the Super Bowl has been decided by exactly three points. So keep that in mind when you take a look at the pricing on will the game be decided by exactly three points. It's uh, it's about plus four and a half to plus five to one for something that's happened about one third of all Super Bowls going back to uh, the start of the millennium. But uh, uh, that the underdog, uh, the, the weaker record does give the underdog mentality uh, because of the fact that we're not supposed to be here. We're not as good as the team that had the better record. I will point out that if you do take a look at the schedules, San Francisco actually played a greater number of team games against quality teams. And I define a quality team in the NFL as any team that wins at least 10 games in the regular season. Now, of course, you can also argue, well, yeah, they beat 9-8 and eight Green Bay and 12-5 uh, and five Detroit, San Francisco did, as opposed to Baltimore beating uh, 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 Buffalo, uh, Baltimore, Buffalo, and Miami, each 10-win teams losing to uh, Kansas City. Yeah, and another one you had, Andy, was, uh, and, and, and even though you might not think it'll matter in this one, was that point spreads not mattering in the yeah. Super Bowl for 12 straight years and 15 of the last 16 meaning that if you win the game you're covering the game the only exception happened two years ago uh when cincinnati was favored by three and a half or four and uh or uh, the rams were favored by three and a half or four and they i think the final score was 23 20 so the underdog Bengals cashed in that one which is the only time that's happened i think we said since 2009 all right, guys, with that, let's hand it back over to Greg. Uh, and I want to remind everybody that's listening out there, thanks for joining us on the show. We greatly appreciate it, and we appreciate it even more if you click the like button at the bottom of the page here. That would mean a lot to us, and it will also keep you in the loop about what we're doing here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Greg, if you would, our next segment, if you will. Yeah, and also I want to remind everybody that this segment is brought to you by uwager.lv featuring monthly 5% rebates and free same-day payouts. So you can check that out at 1-800-U-WAGER. Again, 1-800-U-WAGER. You can see that right there on the screen. And you can also see that little segment there that we've already named coaches and quarterbacks that we're going to get to here um, in just a second. I wanted, though um, – uh, just to remind everybody as well, not only uh, to hit the like button, but also the subscribe button. So uh, I think we are close to 600 subscribers now. Hopefully we will get to 1,000 uh, before next season. Because keep in mind, because you can't do it yet, but once we're at 1,000 subscribers, then anybody who wants to like uh, donate uh, to the channel, things of that nature, we've got things like chats and super chats and all that kind of cool stuff, uh, you'll be able to do that. So if you have like a really cool... Uh, uh, topic or a comment, uh, you'll be able to use those super stickers and all sorts of cool, funny, creative names that YouTube's come up with uh, to get your comment or your question highlighted in our chats. So, hey, Greg, uh, I would have liked to have said that if, once we hit a thousand subscribers, that all the subscribers would be welcome to a party in Jim Fife's backyard. <laughs> <laughs> How about, yeah, let's do that, right? But it'd have to be in Vegas. All yeah. thousand, all thousand, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, let's now uh, talk about experience. 
experience uh, and intangibles uh, with Andy first, uh, because again, I want to talk about coaches and quarterbacks, but let's talk about that, Andy. Talk about, because I, I think that obviously the, 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 the two are connected uh, and, and should be connected. Uh, so t- talk about that. Yeah, we've sort of alluded to this uh, really throughout part of the uh, the first hour that we've done uh, as, as various topics came up, but it, it almost goes along with, you know, I'll, I'll go with one of my long-held beliefs that handicapping betting is both an art and a science, the science being the numbers, the statistics, the art, the intangible situations such as coaching advantages, such as experience, etc. And whereas in the regular season, and you pointed out, Greg, as far as what a lot of people do, they'll look at the statistics, analyze the statistics. For the most part, you know, they play, what is it, 272 regular season games, and the vast majority of those games are just one game on the schedule. Yeah, there are certain factors that apply, but statistics are a little bit more, val- I won't say more valid, but more appropriate to use. Uh, and when you get to the playoffs, then the intangibles, the art of the handicapping, I think becomes a lot more important, of which we talked about with, with I know Jim and Mark mentioned about the experience of the coaches, the quarterbacks, uh, the uh, uh, recency as far as uh, uh, how these teams have performed at various stages of the season. What do you do? In fact, uh, I'll talk about it. I know we're going to get the props at some point, but I talk about even uh, examining game by game. Where did teams play their, their best? One thing I look at each week during the season, and especially late in the year, is I break the season down into quarters. Games 1 through 4, 5 through 8, 9 through 12, and now 13 through 17. It used to be 13 through 16. And I get a pretty good idea of, uh, of how these teams have played over the course of the season. Have they gotten better? Have they gotten worse? I'll point one out that is a concern for Kansas City. Kansas City has had an issue uh, with turnovers, giving the ball away. If you break down the season into those four quarters of you know three of four games and one of five, Kansas City has had a negative turnover margin or negative turnover differential in each of those four quarters. So it's been a season-long concern for Kansas City's uh, inability to uh, prevent turnovers. At the same time, and this is not this is more of a season-long thing, Kansas City ranks very low as far as uh, near the bottom as far as turnovers lost but they also rank low defensively in number of turnovers uh, recovered it's sometimes it's, it's like the bottom third of the league as far as the number of turnovers that the defense has been able to force or recover now do keep in mind and this, again you have to take this in context is the differential between the best team and the worst team is not like the differential between average rushing yards from the best team to the worst team which could be you know 50 60 yards difference the average in turnovers over margins from the best team to the worst might be the difference between you know plus 12 and minus 12 or something like that but still Kansas City has that double concern of an offense that has tended to turn the ball over consistently through the season and has uh, uh, not been able to force turnovers uh, throughout the season as well at least not to the same extent that San Francisco has excelled in both of those areas so that to me for example is something that uh, that it, we talked about experience and intangibles. That's one of those things that I would put a little more emphasis on as far as the overall capabilities of these teams and it would be a concern. You don't have very many concerns for really either team. That one might be significant. In fact, I would say from an experience t- standpoint, Kansas City has a big edge. From a fundamental standpoint, they are at a disadvantage. At the same time, you know, they have an advantage in the edge of quarterbacks. Are they going to be able, as I mentioned earlier, put the pressure on Brock Purdy and cause him to make the mistakes? And when you do that kind of analysis, you find out that um, the the 
edge in experience is only a certain point. It may work more to the detriment of the inexperienced team in the first half. They may be slow starters. It may give you an idea that's, that uh, San Francisco with the less experience, largely due to Purdy, okay, because the other guys are great, it may be a more conservative game plan for San Francisco not wanting to make that first mistake. And if, you know, if I'm Shanahan, maybe I take advantage of that, that uh, maybe I try to go for a big play on the opening play of the game if they happen to uh, have the first possession. You've got to do what the, uh, what the opposition doesn't expect. Andy Reid, Pat Mahomes have much more experience in that area, and that's a lot of reasons for why a lot of folks do support Kansas City on that factor. But again, and it goes to one thing you talked about earlier, Greg, it does present opportunities throughout the game uh, to take advantage of in-play wagering, and it also suggests that this game could come down to the fourth quarter, as I, as I talked about earlier. The first Super Bowl meeting came down to the fourth quarter, and one of the props is will the will either team or will both teams at some point in the fourth quarter have a lead? Well, it was true in that Super Bowl. Might very well be true in this one, even though it does look one-sided early in the game. Uh, what about quarterbacks? Uh, go ahead, uh, Jim. What about quarterbacks, uh, coaches? I know uh, you, you've already talked about this, the experience well, factor. Yes. Um, we could go one step along the experience factor to the we haven't talked about this at yeah. all. Since we're talking about um, the possibility of a very close game in the fourth quarter coming down to a play, there's a thing called field goal kicking. And I really think the Sanford, that, that San Francisco with Moody is a big underdog for accuracy. Yes, he has got a big – Moody has a big leg, but he is not accurate. Make some big misses too, Jim. <laughs> yes. yes, and Butker, yes. Butker has. I mean, knock on wood, I don't jinx him, but this guy's been excellent, and that there's experiences again, right there, and he's a he's an old bro, and the other kid's a kid. What about the uh, the difference between the coaches and the quarterbacks in this matchup, Jim? Heavy advantage to Kansas City. Very heavy. Very. I agree. I just do not believe we know what Purdy's going to bring to this game. He has not looked, I mean, against Green Bay, didn't look good in the first part of the game. They got way behind. Definitely looked like they could have lost that game. Against Detroit, again, way behind. 17 down at the, at the half. Who knew what, you know, that was going to turn around the way it did. But, you know, and, and then you have to question Dan Campbell's coaching. I mean, the guy brought them that far in the, into the playoffs with that type of coaching and those decisions that he made. But, you know, maybe maybe that was some of that was against some pretty bad teams that he got away with it. But when you're in the playoffs, you're not playing pretty bad teams. You're See, it's interesting on that team. one because – if he makes the other decision and it fails, people yeah. will then say, why didn't you do what you did all the time going the way you did? Because it worked. Your team has confidence in it. So sometimes he, was, we, yeah. he got, I think he got crucified a little bit too harshly simply because uh, what he chose to do didn't work where it had uh, uh, in the past. But, you know, uh, you, you mentioned earlier about uh, uh, some of the, the field goal issues. That is a that you take advantage of that in some of the props as well. That uh, Butker, you know, probably what second or third best kicker right now. You got to go with uh, 
the uh, was it the Baltimore kicker uh, right now with how, how solid he's been over the years. But yeah, kicking is important. It, it, in fact, there's there's like one prop, and it, it may very well come down to San Francisco being the team that wins this prop. There's one prop that says, will any punt be down, fair caught, or go out of bound with at or within the opponent's five yard line? Well, if you're if you're let's say if you're Kansas City and you're on the San Francisco 40, that would be like a 57, 58-yard field goal. You probably try it with a guy like Butker. If it's the other way around with a guy like Moody and the 49ers are on the Kansas City 40-yard line, maybe you do try a a punt because maybe you say the odds of pinning Kansas City back, depending upon the situation, time in the game, et cetera, is better than risking a long field goal that if you miss, and it's a higher probability that Moody would miss such a field goal than Butker would, you then give Kansas City great field position. Hey guys, let me uh, let me do this. I'm going to reel this subject in here because we've got about 50 minutes left in our live podcast, and we've got a lot to cover coming up here. Just in closing, I want to say this about uh, the quarterbacks and the coaches, if I may. Uh, if you take a look at Patrick Mahomes and his body of work, he's won six straight games against Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Tua Tagovailoa, Jalen Hurts. Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. That's a pretty nice murderer's row that he's taking care of. You also take a look at him his last four playoff games. He's not turned the ball over or been sacked in any of those four football games. Those are big, big check marks, I think, for him as opposed to uh, Brock Purdy. On the coaching side, one little neat Andy Reid stat, if you like stats. There's a lot of people out there that like this kind of stuff, I being one of them. Uh, Andy Reid, when his teams have won and covered each of their previous two games and he dresses up as an underdog, he is 21-3-1 against the spread in this particular role. Oh, wow. By the way, is that just with Kansas City or does it go back to Philadelphia? That's his career well? with Philadelphia, too, as well. Yes. Okay. By the way, uh, does somebody have their cell phone on that has the broadcast of our show in the background? Because I can hear it. No, no. I I don't know. Uh, yeah. One I'm of us getting does. a little reverb. Yeah, one of us does. They probably have their cell phone on, and what happened is it picked up the show, and you're probably not even realizing it. So if you have your cell phone on, you might as well just move it away from the screen. Everybody should move away from the screen. Maybe somebody in my office. I don't know. Okay. Uh, just letting somebody, ha- yeah. you know, if anybody out there in our studio, um, yeah. just to let you know. Um, I'll our I'll next segment is going to be uh, offense versus defense and the importance of offense versus defense in the Super Bowl. I mean, I grew up, especially in the days of the Chicago Bears and uh, Buddy Ryan uh, and, uh, how, and how defense wins championships. Uh, I know offenses uh, have been, uh, you know, the rules and everybody wants points and look what the Super Bowls we've seen recently with all the points being scored, even just last year. But uh what about that? Uh, I'll start with you, uh, uh, Jim. What about uh, still the importance of offense versus defense? Okay, just want to double check. Thanks a lot. Okay. Uh, well, the rules have changed, and it, it's very difficult for a defense to control a game now because of the offensive changes uh, by by the committees and the you know the powers to be. They wanted more scoring. They they made defensive play very difficult. But in the playoffs, they're not calling a lot of those penalties that they call in the regular season. They're letting them play a little bit more. So that takes a little bit of it away and allows some of the defensive players to do a little bit more than they have done during the regular season. And I've seen that pretty much in all the playoff games. 
offenses are I, I give an offensive edge to Kansas City. I think they have better material and they have a better defensive head coach. That's one of the edges we talked about earlier. And um, you know the regular season and the and the playoffs are, are officiated differently. And um, and and it's it's remarkable actually. And they're le- they're letting the defensive people get away with a little bit more than they do in the regular season. By the way, speaking maybe, of refs, maybe that's maybe that's due to having supposedly quote unquote better officiating crews in these playoff games. Well, speaking of refs, uh, we do have some in the chat that have brought up the officiating uh, and what it could do to impact the game. Um, Rick White, why is the Super Bowl experience or what is the Super Bowl experience of the refs? I think it should be what over why. Uh, they can make a big difference in the game. And uh, Rick also says, um, yep, yeah, that's what he says. He changes to what. And then uh, Dave McKenna. Now, uh, Dave, I'm assuming you're either my age or older to make this reference. Hopefully this game won't be so suspicious that it looks like a race from Freehold Raceway. (laughs) By the way, that brings up a point that that I think we've discussed before. With the NFL's endorsement and participation in legalized sports betting, I would think that the NFL should strongly consider, even though it slows things down, Every play, including some of those very questionable pass interference calls that could be called very arguably on either the receiver or the defender, should be reviewable. And if you want to make it subject to the use of a challenge under the current system, that's fine. The alternative to that is you liberalize, the, for example, the offensive holding rules, the jostling rules. Because the NFL, if they've always expect a, a, a long-term concern, rightfully so, about the integrity of the game and making sure that everything's on the up and up. The officials, and everyone has known this, control basically uh, what can happen in any game. You can always over, overcome a touchdown by throwing a late penalty flag or something like that. It is a concern. I did not do any research on the referees specifically, and I know people are out there, and it's probably on the Internet somewhere, in the, involved in this game because there are some websites out there that do uh, check and report on which officiating crews uh, call a certain uh, higher than normal percentage of offensive holding, defensive interference, etc. And that is something that could go into the handicap, especially when you're looking at what kind of penalties are called. You know, if you're looking at defensive in, uh, pass interference, that might tend to prefer or lean you towards playing overs. If you're looking at it because it, it gives the offense extra yards from a play that otherwise didn't work. If you're looking at uh, uh, offensive line holdings uh, or uh, or kickoff punt return holding penalties that might prefer a lower scoring game because you're taking away yards that have previously been gained and is anybody in any way shape or form concerned about the officiating in general i mean if, if any team has gotten screwed by the officiating this year it's been the kansas city chiefs that's for sure um i, I think their fans are probably more nervous about this game uh with officiating than the niners fans so do we know who the officials are, are and what record they may have had? Do we know that yet? Yeah, we yeah, should know. Announced, I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I know it was announced, I think, within days after the conference championship game. In fact, I think it may have even been announced before them, the conference championship games were played. All right. The, the officiating um, has me as a better um, become a little bit more leery as to making larger bets than I 
had before because it, it does change. And, and some of the, even when they review the plays, it's unbelievable some of the decisions yeah. they make. So some of my betting has, no, all of my betting has been reduced because I don't always trust that the decisions are made efficiently, effectively. I don't question the honesty because I think they do a pretty good job policing the officials and what, what goes on in their lives and how much, you know, but you never can rule it out. But, but a lot of people say, oh, fixed game, fixed game. I don't believe that. Can it happen? Of course. We, we've seen it before. Will we see it again? Of course we will. But widespread, no. I don't believe The it. only concern that I have, or the only thing I would like, consistency. If it's a pass interference play called in the first quarter, you call it the same way in the fourth quarter. <coughs> I agree that, with that, Andy. That totally. All right, let's uh, move on to our next segment, common denominators. So uh, the importance of utilizing common denominators when it comes to handicapping the Super Bowl. Start with you, Mark. Mark. Well, you know, uh, we broke this down in the Playbook Super Bowl preview guide, and the common denominator shook out pretty even, surprisingly. I think they played seven common opponent teams, and there was no big edge either straight up or against the spread. I think the biggest edge was San Francisco struggled two and five to the spread against those common opponents, whereas Kansas City, I believe, went four and three. But, uh, Andy, I know you broke down in your fabulous newsletter your common opponents and strength of schedule. Can you hit on that if you would? Yeah, uh, the common opponents were uh, Minnesota, Cincinnati, Jacksonville, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Green Bay, and Detroit. So they each played seven. Uh, San Francisco played more of those games in the, well, they played two of them in the playoffs, Green Bay and Detroit. Uh, Kansas City, I think, had uh, those three games uh, that uh, they played, uh, or the, the, the games late in the year that uh, San Francisco played also. They both played Baltimore, of course. Uh, straight, both teams were 4-3 and three in their seven games against the common opponents. As you noted, San Francisco 2-5 and five against the spread. Kansas City 4-3, and three, so a two-game difference there. Uh, what's interesting is the contrast in the totals results. San Francisco's seven games against the same opponents Four and three to the over. Kansas City six and one to the under. So Kansas City against the same opponent. So that you know, there's again maybe that's the old offense defense comparison uh, that you want to make. In fact, San Francisco's average margin uh, was plus uh, uh, three point eight, twenty six point seven to twenty two point nine as the as the uh, uh, the score goes. So that's uh, basically forty nine and a half fifty points. Kansas City's significantly lower. 20.3 to 17.9. That's 2.4, basically 38 points per game. So that's an 11-point differential between the two. And, you know, it's a decent enough sample. I don't know statistically how significant it is based upon the mathematics behind it, but you're talking about seven games out of uh, 19 for San Francisco so it's, and 20 for Kansas City. So it's more than a third of their games that are against common opponents. So I think that you can take a look at that. As far as the stats on the game, not huge difference between uh, between them. San Francisco was a little bit better offensively as far as yards per, per play gained on offense. 
Kansas City, not quite as of an edge when you look at defensive yards allowed per play. That was uh, uh, more to the edge of Kansas City, uh, but San Francisco's offensive edge was greater, but not by a significant amount. So they both played well. They both had winning records. The difference was in the point spread, but keep again in mind, Ed, in both of those games, and especially in San Francisco's case, they were laying huge numbers in many of those games that they won but did not cover. Very good. Uh, like I said, common opponents really weren't a factor here. Sometimes they are, and even when they are, sometimes they can be skewed or misleading uh, from the standpoint of what was the condition of the opponent when they played the game? Were they struggling? Were they a losing team? Did they improve in the second half of the season? Exactly. Yeah, so you have to take those with a, a grain of salt for sure. The, the, other, the other thing to offset that is that it probably applied to both teams at different times, and that's why looking at seven common games is you probably got a variety of healthy teams, weak teams in each of those samples, as opposed to if they only had three common foes, where there's more likely that uh, there could be a significant edge in the difference of competition at the time of those teams played. All right. Uh, one more in the chat before we move on to, uh, I think this is going to be our final segment, and that is uh, a question from Champ Ross Fantasy Boxing Predictions League. Uh, quick prop question for panel. Good segue. Uh, combined yes. net yards combined for both teams over under 726. So what do you think, guys? Again, combined net yards combined I, I for both teams. I say this. My inclination was initially to look under, especially when, you, when I take a look. Kansas City's defense this year is the best defense that Mahomes has ever had behind him to support him by far. And again, it just shows the the difference. I said Spagnola was in his first year with Kansas City when they met in the first Super Bowl. He didn't have all his players there. He now has uh, the, uh, mostly all of his players that he's been able to acquire or that management has been able to acquire for him. Uh, at the same time, this is Kansas City's weakest offense that Mahomes has played uh, behind. We uh, talked about it earlier about the number of drop passes, but just the offense as a whole has been weaker. In fact, last season, 2022, this is a weaker offense than then, last season's offense produced 59 offensive touchdowns rushing and passing. This year, that number was down to 37. So that explains why Kansas City's average points per game this year was between six and seven points, I believe, less than it was last year. At the same time, this is a better San Francisco team that uh, uh, that Kansas City saw in the first Super Bowl. Mentioned that Garoppolo was the quarterback, McCaffrey wasn't on the team, uh, and Sammy was a rookie. Uh, is it, by the way, this is not the first time these teams have met. They actually met in 2022 in midseason in San Francisco. San Francisco got out again to a 10 nothing lead. Uh, Kansas City caught him right before half, took a 14-13 lead. This was in San Francisco and Kansas, and, and Kansas City had to lead the rest of the way. It was 44-23. Interesting enough, it was McCaffrey's first game after the trade from Carolina. So they have met before, and at the same time, uh, we saw Kansas City once again uh, be able to contain San Francisco in the second half. And by the way, you go back to that Baltimore game in the championship game, Kansas City did what it did most of the season. They didn't, or not most of it. Well, they had a poor second half. They did not score after getting that 17-7 halftime lead. In fact, if you look at the performance of these teams' first half and second half, San Francisco was very consistent in what they produced offensively and even held teams defensively in the first half and the second half. Better in the first half than the second half. Kansas City was much better, slightly weaker than San Francisco in the first half. But when you look at what they did in the second half, they were pretty good defensively, but absolutely horrible offensively. In fact, they ranked – 
I think it was tied with the Jets for the first for the for the fewest points scored in the second half of their games this year. Their under record in the second half and in the fourth quarter yeah. was the best under record in the league. Yeah. All right. I also want to uh, remind everybody uh, to uh, check out uwager.lv, uh, who is sponsoring this segment, uh, featuring 58% free play with six-time rollover and no hold. That's 1-800-U-WAGER. Again, 1-800-U-WAGER. 58% free play with six-time rollover and no hold. If nobody knows what that means, what does it mean, Mark? Jim, you know all about rollover. <laughs> I do. Um, well, you, you post up. You know, every, everybody does it differently, but if you have to win $600 to start collecting, that means you got to, let's say you make a $100 deposit, but you got to build it up to 600 you got to build it six times, right? Yeah, six times. Some places are 10 times. I remember one place was 12 times. So it's pretty hard to roll over to get to 12 times to ever start getting your money. So the lower the rollover, the more honest the whole proposition and promotion is. All right. So let's talk props. And uh, as we, uh, as yeah, as we talk props. Uh, this is going to take a whole segment. I have to ask you, Andy, to kick things off because uh, you've done more than enough homework on this one. Give me your best prop advice. Okay, well, I mentioned we talked about the newsletter, and, and actually the most important part of the newsletter may very well be the final page of text where I put five key points to consider when playing point, when playing props. Not necessarily in any order because they're all important. Number one, when looking to play props, look for sports books that offer a 20-cent difference in the line as opposed to a 30% for competitively priced props. In other words, a minus 110 each way is a 20-cent line. Don't uh, you know, if you can find the same price or same type prop, don't play minus 115 versus minus 115. That's a huge advantage for these sports books, and there are plenty of books that offer uh, the uh, 20 cent line rather than the 30 cent line. Perhaps I would say this is the most important bit of advice. Be sure to read the fine print attached to a prop because there are many conditions such as does a player have to play for action if there's no touchdown? Is that a refund or is it the under in that specific prop a uh, uh, a winner and check around for the various different types of props receiving yards rushing yards for specific players will vary depending upon the amount of action that certain sports books get so it's important to look around and shop around for the uh, uh, the, the best props uh, when evaluating uh, props involving yards, attempts, receptions, etc. It may be best to not just look at the related season averages that a player has accomplished or a team has accomplished, but rather look at the number of times, number of games in which uh, a player may have exceeded or fallen short of the number that's being used as the number for that prop. As an extreme example, a running back may have gained 50 yards in 60 games this year for a total of 800, and then in that 17th game, whenever it was, had 210 yards, an outlier performance, but the average yards is 1,000. 1,010 is the total yards for a 17-game average of 59.4 yards per game, a total he would have, ta he would have topped just once in that 210-yard game. So the 
be very careful, or at least you would certainly would want to consider looking at the number of times that number has been achieved. It's not always right or close to the average, which means brings up another thought. For those of you familiar with the concept of medians, if you rank the, let's say, a simple example, teams played 17 games. If you ranked all points scored in each of those 17 games from the lowest, let's say three points to the highest of 45 points. The number in the middle, number nine, is the median. See how that also compares to uh, whether or not the player has or the team has fallen short or gone over. And finally, understand that for the most part, the public at large, the casual once a year betters, will tend to think positive rather than negative terms. Therefore, they will often look to be playing the yes rather than the no and the over rather than the under as a result and uh, a lot of the folks have been doing it for a while realize that intrinsic value in most of the props will be on the no and on the under the professionals largely look for things not to occur as opposed to things to occur the bookmakers know that so they shade it a little bit more uh, towards uh, what the professionals don't get the big advantage of so often you will be that that's another reason knowing that the the unsophisticated money, let's call it that, uh, will be coming in on wanting things to happen, go over, or yes, be accomplished. Very good. Uh, let me jump in here, if I may, as far as some of these props go that uh, I came across. Uh, my favorite props are anti-Purdy props. I'm going to play him <laughs> over a half an interception. Uh, I'm going to play him under his passing yards. And I'm also going to play uh, Isaiah Pacheco with a, a touchdown to score a touchdown in the football game. This is uh, a neat stat that I came across really just literally before we started the show. And Isaiah Pacheco has recorded at least 75 yards from scrimmage in each of his last six playoff games. There have only been seven players since the merger that have a longer streak. One of those is Travis Kelsey, by the way, with seven. Also Debo Samuel with six. But nice support for Isaiah Pacheco. I think, the, I personally, if I'm Andy Reid, their game plan is to keep control of the football, utilize Pacheco, and put the heat on uh, Brock Purdy in this football game. So I'm anti-Purdy from uh, interceptions, anti-Purdy for yards, and on Pacheco. Also, one little quick note here, guys, in passing here, something I come across. Uh, will there or will there be a touchdown run of three and a half or less yards? The answer is overwhelmingly yes in situations like that. So, you know, while it goes against the yes bet, uh, there are oftentimes really rather quite uh, small scores in the football games. And in closing, before I turn it over to Jim and uh, and Greg, if I may, uh, in our Super Bowl newsletter, we had pointed out a couple of unique stats that we saw in props, and these were from our friends over at Vison. Uh, and they were pretty neat. Uh, that uh, will there be a punt return for a touchdown? It hasn't. It's been 22 years. It's been zero times. Will the longest field goal be over 54 and a half yards? 22 times. 22 occurrence years. Zero times. Will a player with 200 plus receiving yards in a football game last 22 years? Zero times. Uh, and I mentioned to you before about the shortest touchdown of under three and, a, three and a half yards. The answer to that is last 22 times, 21 times it's happened. So uh, those are some little tidbits of mine that I, I found most interesting when it comes to props. And I, I'm going to tip my head also to my good friend, Jay Cornegay over at the Superbook. Jay is sort of the originator, the godfather, if you will, when it comes to Super Bowl props. Uh, he, he originally did this uh, on a whim and it ended up being magnificently popular people bet more money on props than they do the super bowl games these days 
And uh, he, he did it largely because uh, it allowed the, the books to be able to take more handle on the football game itself. And he put over 500 props with the Superbook. Check out uh, online superbook.com and check out all the props that Jay Cornegay put up. That's my little plug for Jay Cornegay in the Superbook, a sports book that I absolutely love. Well, Jay has always done a great job over there. And um, he, re remarkable how he comes up with all this stuff. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly because there's quite a few of them. <laughs> the first, I bet a teaser in the game. <coughs> I took the two and a half, one, the eight and a half and under 54. I feel pretty good about that. At the matter of fact, the only thing, that, a little question about if the game gets out of hand, the 54 may not stand up, but it's still at 47 and a half for the most part. So I think I got a pretty good edge there. Uh, Purdy, I think we're going to – I like over-rushing yards. Now, I didn't mention any numbers here because they're moving around a lot, so I, I don't want to put out a number that's not available. Just shop for the – shop everywhere you can for the best prices. I saw, I saw 13 to 13 and a half in the last 24 hours. No, well, I just I just look what I betted at, 11 and a half. Yeah. So, uh, McCaffrey, over 35 and a half rushing yards. Pacheco, Mark, you mentioned him, over rushing yards. Pacheco, over rushing attempts. Kelsey, over six and a half receptions. Butker, over one and a half field goals. I do not feel that Andy is going to be going on fourth down very much. He's just not that kind of coach. And I think he's going to get the points and try to hold on and play the conservative game at the end of the game. Both teams combined over three and a half field goals by both teams. That's uh, that's my uh, list. Your laundry list, huh? It's I've, got a, I've got a few interesting ones to sort of uh, uh, a testament to the creativity of some books. Uh, these are from the Circa. And if I were going to label this prop, I would call it the uh, Lamar Jackson prop. The prop is, will any player complete a pass to himself? We saw that in that game, uh, in the championship game. Uh, actually, in that one, it's, uh, I'm not going to suggest playing it because the price, if you play it, 75 to 1 on the yes. You can also lay minus 270, 275 on the no. The second such prop, I would call the Zay Flowers prop, will a, uh, where is it, will a player uh, fumble the ball outside uh, over the end zone, uh, over the goal line, into the end zone, and out of the end zone for a touchback. That's what that one should have been uh, labeled. And now, it would, what fun would chat about the Super Bowl be uh, without a conspiracy theory that uh, would uh, help the Kansas City betters, but it would seem to help the Kansas City betters, but uh, might actually help the San Francisco uh, betters. And that is, the line right now is two. If you're Kansas City, you'd love to get the, uh, the plus three. So here's my thoughts. On her way home from Japan on Saturday night after her concert, Taylor Swift, the rumor, you start a rumor Sunday morning that on the flight home, Taylor Swift called Travis Kelsey to break up with him. All of a sudden, everyone will rush to bet San Francisco and the Kansas City betters will be saying, we're going to get the plus three we had hoped for. <coughs> because of a distraught Travis Kelsey. Yes, yeah, I got it. Not going to happen. 
not yes. going to happen, but <laughs> there have been all sorts of conspiracy theories thrown out about this for the NFL. I thought I'd add one that uh, has even less chance of occurring. We, we appreciate it, Andy. That was a good one. Although the number 13 has come up quite a bit. Uh, I've made a number of props, and it's interesting to shop around. Um, there's an overtime prop that is usually priced about plus 900. It's only happened once, that Atlanta-New England game. Uh, a lot of people expect Travis Kelsey to catch a touchdown at some point. And it's a pretty low number on Travis Kelsey. If you are someone who wants to play, not the Travis Kelsey prop necessarily, but the overtime prop, you can actually get better than 9-1 to one overall on the overtime prop, or at least 9-1 to one or better, because there's one prop that's actually a dual prop. Travis Kelsey catches a t scores a touchdown, doesn't have to be a catch, scores a touchdown, and 49ers win the game, and there's a similarly priced, similarly worded prop. Travis Kelsey catches a touchdown pass, and the uh, Chiefs win the game. One I think is like 22 to one. The other one is like 20 to one. So effectively, you're getting you know, 20 to one. So you're effectively getting like 21 to, uh, or, or sorry, 10 and a half to one on the uh, on the two props. So uh, because you, you'd have to bet twice as much on Travis Kelsey uh, just to catch a touchdown pass. So uh, those I saw, are some of the props. I saw a parlay that might be interesting. I'll let you guys discuss it. Is McCaffrey anytime TD parlayed with Kelsey undertime anytime TV and Mahomes anytime TV? And if you want to get real creative, <laughs> I know what that pays. That pays like 130 to one. So who, who was the last? What was the last one? That, that was Mahomes, Kelsey, and McCaffrey. But you could add Purdy in there. Oh, anytime okay. TV. Now you have a four-way parlay. I don't know what it pays because I embedded. Yeah, but it it's all possible. I mean, these what can yeah. go on here? It's a, it's a fun bet, and God, if you have three of them going into the fourth quarter, you're going to be pretty excited because that thing's going to be paying over over two hundred one. Yeah, the other thing is when you look at the number of players to catch, uh, touch, uh, to uh, have a reception, number of Chiefs, for example, for uh, rushing yards, that's usually around four and a half or five and a half. If you want to take a look at the number of games in which the, the team actually had four different players or five different players have a rushing attempt or seven or eight different players, because that's another thing you want to keep an eye on, because you always we always expect or we often expect a lot of trick plays, I would say, like two and a half, over two and a half players to have a pass attempt that very rarely happens although now if you had bet it in the nfc championship game last year between philadelphia and san francisco you would have had it because of the injury to the uh, that occurred during the game to purdy and uh, the other san francisco quarterbacks but it usually it rarely happens unless they have someone who comes in uh, for a, a series or two to replace an injured temporarily injured starter one other thing, guys, I heard uh, it's becoming a popular prop. Uh, if for no other reason, its name is Funky, and it, uh, it it's worked here a little bit of late. It's called the Octopus. Yeah. 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 Uh, where one player will score eight points on a possession where he scores the touchdown and he converts the two points. And that was the case for Jalen Hurts last year. Uh, whether or not somebody will complete an octopus, I have no clue, no idea. Uh, I just thought it was kind of neat. I'd throw that out there to see whether or not you're, it's being offered by your guy or not. Uh, I haven't seen a price. Andy, did you see a price? 
I'll try and find it right now, but I know that the pro I've seen the prop in about four or five different properties. It's a, it's a difficult thing because number one, you have to uh, you have to decide to go for two after scoring the touchdown. Number two, it, it has to be the same. You have to complete it, and you have to complete it to the same person who scored the touchdown. So I know that there are pretty long odds. Well, with, with Hertz, you got the advantage. You got the tush push. That's true. Unfortunately. You can't do it this year, but that is something to keep in mind for the future because I'm sure that this will be a, a proper, uh, a popular prop because it does contain. I'm going to try and find out what it is. What's your top? Uh, what would be your top uh, money line play of all wagers in the Super Bowl? I do the tandem prop, which I've talked about a lot over the years. A tandem prop is basically two props. And it's a way that I, I, I approach a lot of the props, and it means it has no I, no connection at all to who I think is is going to win. It's a prop that just has two separate parts, like the, the, the first pass by each quarterback, complete or incomplete. The complete, which again is the popular part of the prop, is usually priced around minus 240, minus 250. The incomplete is usually priced around plus 190 to plus 200 and i've generally played each of those props because you only need one of them to come in and you're going to show a profit you lose two units if you if they if both uh quarterbacks first pass is uh, complete you win close to four units if both of them are complete and you win uh, about one unit if you go one and one. Now, it was very successful for a long period of time in the ninth, in the 20 teens. It had not hit, I think, for two or three years last year because both were complete. Last year, it went one and one. So I think I was plus one, plus 190 on one end of the prop and plus 210 on the other end of the prop. So uh, effectively, I won like either either 90 or 110 depending on when I forget which one it came in. So I look at it, uh, will, uh, this one hasn't been, this is an example of the type of thing you look for. Will the first punt by the Kansas City punter be in a, uh, uh, will the, no, will the Kansas City punter punt a touchback? Will the San Francisco punter uh, punt a touchback? You only need one of the two. It's irrelevant as to what you think is going to happen throughout the game, other than it does require there to be several punt opportunities for each quarterback. But I, I generally play the uh, quarterback incomplete first pass almost every year. Or you could just bet a million dollars on the coin flip. There you go. Somebody, Get it over with. Well, actually, by the way, that goes into another thing that I'm surprised Jay has not taken advantage of it. Most places give you heads and tails, and it's uh, minus 102, minus 103 each way. There was a time when I think it was the Westgate for a year or two actually made it a true minus 100 each way, and that way they could advertise to the world, come and play at our sportsbook. We have... Zig, uh, vig free props. As long as you have two of them, the plural applies. I won't say it's deceptive or uh, something misleading or anything. It's a true statement, but it's not quite what you would hope it would be, but it certainly lives up to the billing of what it actually is. Uh, what about money lines in general? Do you guys have any, uh, not, not props necessarily, but any other wagers? Like, for instance, I, I'm if I'm looking for a money line play, I'm probably going to throw a few bucks on Kansas City winning anywhere between eight and fourteen points or more, because I can get three to one between three to one and plus six fifty to one if uh, if the game is uh, you know decided in the four, before the fourth quarter pretty much of uh, of a fourteen or more game. Um, which I think again, if if if, uh, if Brock Purdy has a bad game, if he throws a few interceptions, things of that nature, uh, then I think Kansas City does have a good chance of winning the game by more than fourteen points. 
My, my biggest concern to that, Greg, is this, is that uh, uh, Andy Reid is the one coach in the National Football League that plays more one-score games than any <laughs> other coach. Uh, and Kansas City is sort of famous for that. Yeah. Uh, which is why they've won the Super Bowl, or maybe New England won Super Bowls that didn't cover. Kansas City does it during their season as well with yeah. Andy Reid. So I might be a little bit concerned about that one particular one for that reason. I, I classify, I talked about tandem bets. Another category is head-to-head bets, you know, A versus B, yes, no, et cetera. Uh, and the third kind is what you talked about. It's either you call it an index bet. I call it a multi-option bet where there might be 10 to 20 different options, such as you talked, Kansas City wins from 3 to 6, Kansas City wins from 7 to 10, et cetera. The problem is that if you play more than one of them, you're, create, you're reducing the overall odds because one of those has to lose. So if you play multiple bets of that kind, the other is the needle in the haystack, which is kind of like who's going to be the MVP, for example. If you think Kansas City's defense is going to be very good and they're going to get uh, you know three or four Four sacks. You think Chris Jones is going to have a uh, a big game? Maybe he wins at 100 to one. The MVP odds. It's unlikely, but that's the kind of player that I would look for. But yeah, the the index props uh, and they offer a lot. You could you can actually pick from like zero to 60 the number of points that Kansas City will score in the game, and you get varying odds for each of those. I normally don't play those, although because this is one game, I tend to look more for the plus-priced odds because the proposition itself is priced relatively correctly, but it's based upon a number of games. Here you're either going to win or lose. You're not going to hit 52%, 58%, 47%. So if there is a blowout, you guys think it would be San Francisco with the blowout? I, I don't think it'll be a blowout at all. Well, if there is. I I would only because of the extent that San Francisco has an outstanding defense. In fact, uh, one of the things I talked about it before, I don't look at yards per attempt for pass completions. It's meaningless because it includes incomplete passes. I look at yards per pass completion. But it only takes a look at when passes are successfully completed, what do they average? The league average is 10-point yards per completion. Both of these defenses allow under 10. They're one of about they're two of about five or six teams that actually allow under 10 yards, which is almost a full yard below the league average. San Francisco on offense averages about 13 yards per completion. Kansas City just about 10 yards completion. So what I'm what I'm saying here is because you've got such good pass defenses, you're not going to expect that many uh, uh, big plays. So I would think that if there's a blowout, you look at Kansas City's decline in scoring all season and the fact that they're going up against one of the league's better defenses, San Francisco is more likely to be the team that, let's say, scores 34 to 40 points. At the same time, they also have the much weaker quarterback to lead that scoring onslaught. All right, guys, we're down to about the what we would call the 10-minute warning uh, for our podcast. It's really gone by fast, to say the least. And uh, we need to let everybody know out there what we would be doing in the Super Bowl, either from a side, total, or both standpoint. So, Greg, I'm going to pass it up to you first. Your Super Bowl pick. Well, it's it's pretty easy for me. I'm going with the Chiefs uh, again. Mahomes ten and four straight up, thirteen and one against the spread as a dog, including the Super Bowl last year, including uh, both playoff games this year. Um, I just think it's one of those things that's just too basic for me. It's a uh, Mahomes reminds me of Brady in the respect that uh, even though I didn't pick the Chiefs. Like once once they win that first playoff game, that impresses me. 
I roll with them. I did it last year. That's why I liked them against the Eagles. I'm doing it again this year. I just can't I can't bet against Patrick Mahomes. It's like to me, it's like betting against Tom Brady. Cool. Jim, I sort of kind of think I know what you're going to do. Maybe you can surprise us. Uh, we put it in a video that Greg ran, so I think I think they already know. I'm I take the points with Kansas City. I have the teaser with Kansas City and the under. I have all the props that I just told you about. Um, I would say if there's a blowout, it's going to be because of turnovers, and I think the turnovers will probably come from the pressure of the Kansas City rush against Purdy, and he'll make some mistakes. That's what I would think. But like I said, this is one game. We're dissecting it like over and over and over again, and it's so hard to come up with a conclusion. In-game betting, I will do some things. You know, if I see something wrong or out of place and something's going to make a change, uh, if there's going to be an adjustment, I'm, I'm going to try to get on top of that. Cool. Andy, what are you looking at for the Super well, Bowl this year? In the in the newsletter, I do have a section summary of key some key points. Three in support of Kansas City, three in support of San Francisco, three against Kansas City, three against San Francisco. Support of Kansas City, Super Bowl experience, fourth trip in five seasons. Best defense since Mahomes has become the starter, and they've won two playoff games as an underdog on the road. That's pretty simple. Uh, the points against Kansas City, offense is weakest of Mah- since Mahomes has been the starter in his six seasons, prone to turning over the football, tied for third fewest second-half points scored per game uh, this season. For San Francisco, best balanced team statistically and talent-wise in the NFL. Now, you can make an argument that talent-wise is an opinion. Statistically, those are numbers. Much the better offense this season of the two teams. The league average of rushing yards per game is 113 yards uh, for the NFL. San Francisco exceeded that in 15 of their 19 games this year. So that's going to be a key that Baltimore did not do against Kansas City. The factors against against San Francisco, they struggled in both home playoff games. Recent struggles against the Chiefs, the Super Bowl, and in their meeting in 2022. And they have a much weaker weaker place kicker in Moody uh, versus the veteran Butker. Having put that together with everything else, I will also admit, before the season began, uh, one of the places circa in town offered you the ability to bet on the exact Super Bowl winner tied to Super Bowl loser. I made several plays on that, two of which were Chiefs over 49ers and 49ers over Chiefs. So either way, I'm going to cash a ticket that pays in the low 30 to 1. It's a high number because you had to pick two teams you had to do before any regular teams were played. Now, in the newsletter, when I finally had to make a decision, my stronger opinion is on the under in the game. Two very good defenses, a potent but still questionable San Francisco offense because of Purdy, and at the same time a Kansas City offense that's not as strong. I did go with San Francisco. It's so easy to make a case for Kansas City based upon the site, the stats that, that most of you, especially Greg, cited with Mahomes' great record. They're the favorite. Uh, you could probably buy the uh, – I've seen one two-and-a-half this week. It was at the Westgate since Sunday. Every place else is a two. It may come in. So you might be able to buy up to three somewhere. It looks a little bit too easy. Usually, when it looks too easy, it isn't. But there are times also when it looks too easy, and it really is. I don't know that it'll be easy in the sense that it'll be a blowout win, but the side that looks easy turns out to be the side. 
if I listen to a lot of the people, it, it's probably about 65, 70% for picking the Chiefs. I just think the San Francisco 49er team has been an outstanding team when fully healthy. They're about as healthy as they've been basically all year. There's a defensive injury on Kansas City to one of their defensive linemen who I think it was an ACL or MCL. He broke in the, uh, the Baltimore game that could have an impact on the pressure on Purdy. I've made the final score 23-16 San Francisco. Andy, San Francisco under the play in the football game. Jim Feist, Kansas City. Greg DePalma, Kansas City. I'm going to cap it off also with the Kansas City Chiefs. and I'm going to maybe put a little whipped cream on the cake here. I had shared a little bit earlier on with you guys about uh, in our database how teams perform in the Super Bowl when they come in off of a straight-up underdog win in a championship game, 19-7-1 to the spread. When opponents come in off of a win-no-cover, 2-8-1 to the spread. The combination of the two, when they collide like they're doing on this Super Bowl game this week, 5-0-1 to the team coming in off of the straight-up underdog win. That's Kansas City in this particular role. All the experience, the coaching, and everything else, they checked too many boxes for me to ignore. I'd put a gun to my head if I didn't, if I watched Kansas City win the football game and didn't pronounce them. And by the way, they also come in with the weaker record, which as we've seen also yes, is extremely strong. On top of all that. One quick note here, guys, before we sign off, our good friends at uwager.lv. All the props we talked about are available at uwager.lv. Log on. Call 1-800-U-WAGER. You can check out the size, the totals, the props, everything. It's a handicapping paradise at uwager.lv. I want to thank our co-host Greg DePalma from Prime Sports Network. Also, Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com and our good buddy Jim Feist, the legend in Las Vegas, for all their great help on the show this week. And most of all, I want to thank you for joining us for the show. Be sure to hit that like button and subscribe. Until next time. This is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.